Hello, this is Jesse Weiler for Adoramus Bulletin. In this episode, we speak with Dr. Jennifer Donaldson, who recently wrote an article for Adoramus titled The Golden Thread of Music, a practicum on how to adorn the church's collects with the sung garments of salvation. Dr. Donaldson holds the William P. March Chair in Sacred Music at St. Patrick's Seminary in Menlo Park, California. So without further ado, another Adoramus interview. Hi, Jennifer. How are you doing today? Hi, thanks so much for having me. Uh, it's 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 my pleasure. I'm very excited about this. Anytime uh, we get to chat about music, I think is such an incredibly uh, important conversation. And it's a big part of liturgy. It's a big part of sacramental theology. And I think, you know, your article here for Adoramus does a really good job of laying out not just, you know, the principal aspects of music and liturgy, but, you know, all, obviously all of the theological background as well. So, uh, you know, I'll I'll just dive right in because I think you know the, the most compelling thing. And you mentioned in the article that you took this from Charles Legitudini from from Pope Pius X. But the this uh, comparison of music to vest, vesting or clothing, um, taking somebody out of their ordinary element, this subjective element, and and bringing them to this. Uh, corporate act. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and how important that is and in, in, in the imagery of this? So my inspiration for the article was from the first article of uh, Charlie Salici Tudini, where Pope Pius X says um, that sacred music contributes to the decorum and the splendor of the ecclesiastical ceremonies. And since its principal office is to clothe with suitable melody, the liturgical text proposed for the understanding of the faithful. Its proper aim is to add greater efficacy to the text in order that through it, the faithful may be the more easily moved to devotion and better disposed for the reception of the fruits of grace belonging to the celebration of the most holy mysteries. And, you know, I think people have a sort of intuitive knowledge of this, um, uh, of the power of music to open up our hearts to make the graces that God has to give us more efficacious. It, 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 it opens the door for God to work. Um, you know, an a example I like to give sometimes is, you know, if you hear the text of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And you um, have this uh, profound reaction to the text. Yes, that can happen just saying the text, but when you hear it in a musical setting, it has a, a power to move that's often far greater that God uses in a far uh, easier way, perhaps, than just speaking the text. Um, and we're used to thinking about that when it comes to like uh, the other music for mass or music that we listen to for edification, even outside of mass. We don't always think about that in terms of the um, very simple chance that the priest has. Um, and so what does it mean, for example, for a priest to clothe with suitable melody, the text of a collect or the prayer over the offerings or the prayer after communion? And, you know, in the new um, uh, edition of the Roman Missal, we have such great appendices um, clearly explaining how to sing those prayers. And the, the Missal offers two different tones, the simple tone and the solemn tone. And um, they are rather simple in comparison to things that we think of as like the amazing masterworks of music that are really moving. But they have a power to move 
in the way that they clothe that music. And so, um, you know, I think there's a saying, the clothes make the man or something like that. <laughs> and, and there's something to that for this particular music. And um, I, we more instinctively think of clothes when it comes to a priest, obviously with relationship to his vestments. And so um, it's, it's really wonderful if you ever have done a study of um, how uh, the church has viewed symbolization or symbolism in uh, vestments, you know, that the uh, chasuble is the charity that covers all that, um, you know, the alb is a symbol of, of um, baptism. Um, and each uh, aspect of the, the, the priest's garments has a symbolism, but it's also um, that that symbolism is a sort of um, not only a, a sort of theological reflection on the um, life of the priest, but he wears them because of who he is. It's so it's a sort of um, interior uh, being um, emanating out through the clothes so that what's present in reality is made visible in a, in a very concrete way. And that's really what we're talking about with music too, that there's this inner meaning and reality um, that, that uh, it, um, you know, when you're talking about the word of God and the effect that it has on our spiritual lives, that's the inner sort of thing. And then it's clothed with this beautiful music. So there's a real analogy between who the priest is and what he wears, between the meaning of the text and the music that expresses it. And in a particular way, between the meaning of the words and the, the place that they play in the liturgy of these very simple melodies for the presidential prayers and the nature of who a priest is that is expressed exteriorly through the music. What I, what I love is uh, how you kind of talk about you know not only elevated music, but also elevated text as well. And you kind of talk about uh, and, and I love this, you know, analogy too. If you, if you were to go and meet somebody, you know, for coffee and then you just started singing about your day, Oh, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Like it would be so out of ordinary. So we have this elevated, um, you know, experience where it's like you go from talking about something to singing about something that in and of itself is pretty interesting and elevates things, but then the language itself, right? So we talk whether or not you're using Latin or you talk about, you know, different, um, you know, scripture references and things like that, which is not how we normally talk. You know, the dialogues in the mass are not the vernacular that we use in modern times today. So we have the language itself being elevated and then we have it being elevated even further by it being set to tones. And and again, not just tones that are, okay, Hey, these are, we're going to go with this this way, but these are very, you know, rooted, deeply rooted into the church. So can you talk a little bit about that, about where the, the church's rich history of music. Yeah. I think this, idea of elevation is extremely important. And also Pope Pius X talks about that. And that's echoed in Sacrosanctum Concilium about um, the a necessary quality for music is that it's holy and holy here, you know, in colloquially speaking, we think about it, you know, Mother Teresa is holy, <laughs> you know, that's kind of like the, what the guy in the street would say about holiness, but it's more than um, just living a, a saintly life. It's it's contact with God, going above ourselves, outside of ourselves, into contact with um, He who is, um, and we who are created by Him are able to 
find a bridge to him uh, through this, this act of elevation in music. You're right about even something like controlling the very pitch which I speak on makes something seem a little different and perhaps even elevated out of the ordinary. And this is such an important experience for modern people. And the church has done this with um, not only the greatest masterworks of the of Western civilization and its, its treasury of sacred music, but it infuses every single element of the mass, um, whether it's a beautiful intro each with its um, moving sort of melody to move us up to the altar of God or um, the, the tone for a gospel, um, proclaiming the simplicity and elegance of, of the good news um, to something so simple as um, that God can use even my controlling of the pitch to be something which is an opportunity to come out of myself, to um, have contact with him. And I think, you know, that um, we experience that in, in two different ways, you know, with these these chants for the, the mass, there's the effect on the congregation itself, like what you were talking about. The fact that we're singing is out of the ordinary. It's elevating out of the ordinary. And the congregation sees this as something, not just any action that we're doing, but the action of all actions. The best thing that we can participate in on this side of heaven is the celebration of the mass. and the simple act of, of singing in the mass elevates that. Um, but there's also a sort of elevation for the priest too. You know, I think about this a lot as, as a seminary formator, um, you know, helping these men prepare for their future priesthood. And one of the things um, that I talk a lot about is what impact does this elevation that singing brings to something like celebration of the mass have on the priestly spirituality? I think there are a number of really important impacts. One is that um, when the men are learning how to do this, <laughs> it, it, it requires more. You know, the church in her wisdom allows for us to both speak these prayers, but also to sing them. And Sacrosanctum Concilium says that you know, the, the, um, the liturgy is, uh, or sorry, it's musicum sacrum. The liturgy has a more noble form celebrated uh, solemnly and um, with all its ministers. And that means, you know, that yes, the fullness is in, of the mass is there, whether you're speaking it or singing it, but that active elevation um, more fully expresses the nature of what's there. And that's so important for a priest in his formation, that when he's singing things and he's learning how, okay, my voice goes up and down and, oh, I got the wrong note and, and oh, I have to learn how to control my voice. Um, it's it's a, a sort of formation of the person that, that helps him enter into and prepare for his life and, and that at that moment of the ontological change in his ordination and how he'll spend the rest of his eternity as a priest forever in the line of Melchizedek. You know, that um, it requires him to think harder. It requires more breath. It requires some preparation. It demands more of the man so that he can have a greater gift of self in the celebration of the liturgy. And another thing, you know, um, that that 
act of requiring more, it's kind of like what we experience in Lent, you know, like we do extra things to help us reconnect with what really matters and what, who, who we are supposed to be. Singing can kind of be like that for the, for the, 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 the priest, um, you know, that yes, he could technically do it just all spoken, but he does more so that he can remind himself through that extra act, um, of, of what he's doing and the importance of what he's doing. And even something like, you know, the fact that when a man learns to sing the tones that the church gives him is an, a gift of self, you know, that um, the liturgy is given to us and, and, um, and the priest in a particular way experiences that gift of the liturgy. And he has to respond to it with a gift of himself. He doesn't get to choose what the readings are usually. You know, there are some options, okay? But the, the church gives us a lectionary. He, she puts on the priest's lips a choice of the words. And not only a choice of the words, it's not only that the church, that the man gives himself to as a gift of speaking those words, but she can even put on his vocal folds a melody, a tone of voice. So he surrenders even his own tone of voice to what, to the voice of the church in that act of giving of himself in the mass alongside the gift of, of Christ on the cross to the Father. It's, it's so funny that you say that because when you think about a single person singing something, it, it is evocative of a performance. And this is the opposite. It's, it's paradoxical, right? It's not performative at all. It's like you said, it's actually more relinquishing of oneself. And then that leads us into, and I love when you talked about this too, that that there are tones, you know, baked into the dialogues that have no finality until resolved when the body of, of the congregation, the, the, the corpus responds in kind to the, the, the priest at, at head. And so we have this dialogue. And so there's so much inference and it's multidimensional. You have the pitches and the modes and then the dialogues back and forth and the language. And it, it's, it seems like, you know, oh, it's just simple. You just, you know, sing songy words, right? No, there, it, there's a lot more to it. Um, and, and so, you know, the, the other thing that you were talking about is, you know, it, it makes the, the priest be more active. And that's that's true. I've been asked to uh, canter mere minutes before uh, <laughs> for mass. And then you're practically like during the readings, trying to get the offertory, uh, you know, uh, ready and all of that. So it, it, it definitely heightens things as well and, and more and allows things uh, to be more active. But uh what I was getting at is this unity in worship, which is incredibly important. And it's no longer performative, but it, but you relinquish yourself. The priest relinquishes himself. The people relinquish themselves. And then suddenly we have this dialogue in unity uh, akin to the Trinitarian love song. Can you, so can you talk a little bit about that unity in worship that music promotes? Yeah. So um, one of the most uh, fitting analogies, I think, for this is um, that of the cosmos, that um, if you look at the whole universe, you have galaxies, you have, um, you know, planetary systems, you have, you know, individual planets within that. And then, you know, you can zoom out or zoom in and there's a place for everything. And the church 
And even antiquity has always seen this as a sort of analogy for music itself, that um, the order of creation is such that everything has its place. And that's the basis of, of harmony, the, the, the reason we can even make music, that um, we can make things vibrate in a certain pitch frequency and, and in relationship to another pitch frequency, and they have their place. But um, the music of the church has very much that cosmological order baked into everything. And so what the, the chants of the mass do is they take us on a, a journey through the spiritual dispositions and spiritual content, the reality itself of the mass. You know, an introate doesn't sound like um, a Kyrie, doesn't sound like a Gloria, doesn't sound like a presidential prayer, doesn't sound like a creed, doesn't sound like an offertory. Each one of those things is a different sort of genre of chant. And here, of course, I'm speaking of the Gregorian chant uh, as a paradigm, but of course, there are other musics which capture, as Pius X says, that spirit and savor of, of the Gregorian chant in other musical forms, too. But the chant is the ultimate model for taking us through that journey. And um, so the, these presidential prayer tones are just like one star in that, that universe. And um, they're a star that is often overlooked, but I, I, I think it's, it's important not to overlook it because of what we were talking about earlier, this need, I think, that the modern person has for transcendence, for elevation. And something that is so simple can be a real moment of grace that, um, you know, for example, the, the, um, the article uh, uses an example, the solemn tone of the colics. It's two notes and um, it has an ending, um, which uh, is only finalized when the congregation responds, Amen. And that response two notes simple but you would never say that in real life and and um it's also <laughs> a good way to prom to promote that 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 dialogue right like imagine you know sitting in and not singing anything when a priest is 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 singing those sorts of things and the response is so obvious and um he's just waiting for you <laughs> you know if, if it compels you to participate in that whole cosmic sense of the the movement of the different types of music in mass the different moments in mass the different things we do in mass we confess our sins we praise god we listen to the readings we do all these different things and there's a different music for each and we enter into that whole ordered universe through something so simple as a two-note response yeah, you know, and it and it puts primacy on on the presbyterate, right? Because uh, if if he chants, you know, uh, an introduction, and then and then some people respond, it's there, right? But if he does not chant, I cannot chant back. I have to recite back. So I quite frankly have to relinquish, you know, that ability to his interest in chanting the liturgy. And so that's why this is so important. And, and like you mentioned, you know, formation uh, for, for seminarians. Um, so this is the part where I think people are, uh, you know, they're a little unsure of how true this is, but I certainly agree with your premise that singing is normative for humans, right? Uh, you know, we, <laughs> 
we certainly sing, you know, happy birthday and we do all these other things. Uh, by the way, can you imagine reciting happy birthday and how uh, horrid that would be for somebody to hear? Yeah. They would they'd be like, that's so out of the ordinary. Uh, we have to sing happy birthday. You can't just say it. Um, but you offer at the end of here, you know, some tips and some things to think about uh, in this article. And, you know, I just thought maybe we kind of go through this and, uh, and, and give it a try and, and see what we can learn from it. Great. Yeah. You know, um, I've developed some tricks, as I'm sure many other people have, too, for after so many years of working with seminarians to especially help those men who um, have never, ever sung before. And they definitely did not enter seminary because they thought of it as the future <laughs> singing career. <laughs> you know, um, so it can be an intimidating thing. And just um uh, as you mentioned, the normative nature of singing, it's physiologically normal to be able to do this and it can be learned even later in life. So, um, yeah, let, maybe let's go through some of these uh, uh, tricks. Um, and the first uh, couple of them really don't demand much of you except that you listen. And um, so the first thing I'll do is I'll sing two notes and you tell me if they're the same or different. Okay. No, no. Same. Exactly. No, no. Different. The second one was lower. Great. And so you went the, the next <laughs> step. So not only identifying that they're different, but that the second one goes down. Okay. Um, now I'm going to play um, a note on the piano and I'm going to sing a note. And you just have to tell me if they're the same note or if they're different notes. I believe that's the same note. Exactly. No. That one was different. Good. So that's the next step. Now I'm going to ask you to just pick any note that you want to sing and you're just going to sing it on new. But once you can, whatever note you pick is right. So there's no wrong note, but you have to commit to it. It's like in gymnastics, you stick the landing. Okay. So, so um, sing a note. And you, uh, I want it to last at least five seconds on new. New. Excellent. All right. Now, once I'm going to have you sing another note and hold it for three seconds. And then afterwards, I want you to make it go up. Okay. New. New. Great. Now, um, you can also do it just kind of continuously. So let me demonstrate how you might go down from there. If I go, no. Can you make a smooth sound like that? And so that's something that um, helps uh, whoever um, might be trying these exercises to control their voice. Now, I'm going to give you a specific note. You notice before any note has been the right note, but now I'm going to narrow the frame a little bit and there's only one right answer. Let's see if you got it. No. All right, that's it. So now I'm going to give you one more note. Let's try this one. No. Good. Now, um, if I could, I, what I would probably ask you to do is sing an oration on a single note. So. You could do, you know, if you, we take, for example, the collect from uh, Trinity Sunday, um, it could be just something that you sing like, God, our father, who by sending into the world, the word of truth and the spirit of sanctification, 
made known to the human race your wondrous mystery. So you can have have the person working on it just control and sing on one note. And as I point out to my students, singing on one note is always an option for this very reason that you were bringing up earlier, that it's it by itself, it is elevating. We want to eventually get to singing the right tone. And then you could try singing that on different notes. Um, God, our father, who by sending the world, and expand the range. Um, and then you move into actually singing the, the correct tone. And um, uh, this is a, a little bit important <laughs> uh, point when, when we're learning these tones is that uh, oftentimes we get the tonus inventus um, just from, you know, priests who didn't have the opportunity perhaps to, to get as, as, as perfected on, on their um, singing of these colics as they as might be uh, ideal. Um, but if you were to learn how to sing, for example, the solemn tone, as it's labeled in the, the Roman Missal, you could start by um, singing to yourself, either out aloud or in your own mind, just Amen. And those are the two notes that you need for the collect. Then you um, go through and you divide up the collect. The collect has three parts, essentially, a, a first phrase a second phrase and a doxology. The first phrase is usually some sort of address to God, reciting something that he's done for us. The second is often a, a request and we can identify where that second part starts. Oftentimes it has the word that or so that or grant we pray that or maybe something like a conjunction or a strong verb. But you're gonna um, separate that second section and then the doxology is that formula at the end through our Lord Jesus Christ, your son, etc. And, and learn the, the pattern. And the pattern for the first part is solo, sol. I'm wondering if you could sing that back. Solo, sol. Good. And the second part starts similarly, but ends different. Solo, sol, solo. Solo. So, so long. Good. And then you have all the melodies that you need to do the um, doxology at the end. There are little formulas for the very last part of the doxology in the Roman Missal. And then everyone comes in at Amen. And the conclusion is, is reached with the uh, dialogue. That is, is fantastic. And I think just, uh, you know, a little bit of work, I think, goes a long way. And certainly there are a myriad of resources out there, but like you said, I mean, uh, I think making sure that our, our seminarians have, you know, proper training in some of this as well. I think people would be pretty surprised at how easy, easily it is for a congregation to participate in those prayers and how natural it is, which is another thing we didn't even really get into is, is how natural those tones resolve in our mind and they just make sense uh, for the congregation. So, uh, well, you know, thank you so much for, for your time here, your wonderful article, explaining a lot of these things and the importance of it. I, I for one, um, you know, I'm, I'm very much on board with all of this. I try to, the, the story I tell is I try to teach my children this. And uh, my, I was telling my oldest daughter, if you want to, uh, if, if you want to pray in a way that Jesus loves that more, you sing it. And so every night we would uh, do our prayers and we 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 um, recite the the um, the sign of the cross and all of that, and then we would or uh, we would sing the sign of the cross, we chant it, and then at the end we would just recite our patron saints. And she, she joined me for Easter vigil one time, and she heard them chanting the litany of saints, 
And she uh, then that night commanded that we sing and that we chant <laughs> the, the litany of saints. Because She said, you said if we sing the prayers that Jesus loves them more. So she's in charge of chanting the litany of saints after evening prayer for us every night. So uh, even children understand this, I think, is, is another point here. So but uh, but thank you again for your time here and wonderful article. And uh, we can't wait till you for your next piece for Adorima. So Thank you. All right. God bless.